So I suggest now have uh, questions and answers or a check-in, how things are going. If there's things that are unclear, what's being expressed, or things you'd like to explore, bring up, so have a little more time to look into that. If there's anything either that needs to be explained in what I've said, or things coming up in your practice that you'd like to um, present for exploration, comment, then this is a good time to make use of that opportunity. Greetings, Paul. Just to clarify my understanding of Chitta, it seems to be very closely linked with awareness. When the Chitta is fully open, there seems to be a feeling of a spaciousness and it feels like a sense of awareness. So at that point of time, this Chitta uh, open to awareness, and if it, if it is, then is it chitta that we are training to, to be training awareness in chitta? If it is chitta that is being trained to be aware, then in a, in a mind that is unawakened, is it correct to say that the chitta is the one that is attached? to the delusion of self, yeah. being always, you know, um, restricted by sense consciousness. Yeah. And the third part of the question is, is it right to say that mindfulness is a function of the mind, just like um, breathing is a function of the body? And mindfulness doesn't seem, I mean, mindfulness has not been mentioned in, the, in this teaching, I don't know, so far. So I'm just wondering where mindfulness comes mm -hmm. in in this uh, practice. So I mentioned it yesterday, as uh, I did mention it amongst many other things. <laughs> uh, sense of light, firm, unwavering, steady awareness, dispassionate attention. Mm hovering over experience. So you frame something up, you bear something in mind, you hover over it, bearing it in mind, but not cramping it, not fiddling with it, not wavering off it. This is sati, bearing something in mind. And it, it's whatever seems important, it bears that in mind, samasati. So it could be a theme, it could be mindfulness of breathing, it could be mindfulness of what's affecting the chitta, it could be mindfulness of a dumb reflection. You bear a particular dumb reflection in mind and you keep it in mind and you hold that in mind as you witness your experience. So you witness it in the light of something you're bearing in mind. So if you're bearing your body in mind, body and then, oh, this is a feeling in the body. This is a sick body. This is a happy body. This is an old body. This is a young body. But the reference is to a body rather than a self. Okay? So that's an example of mindfulness referring to the body. As you can see, the Buddha recommended these four domains to place one's mindfulness on. Mindfulness based upon body. Mindfulness based upon or established around what's felt, the feeling sense, which also involves mental perceptions which actually stir and move the mind. Then mindfulness of citta, how the mind is stirred, either contracted or released or suppressed or elated or affected by hatred or affected by greed. So it's a very effective sense. 
and then mindfulness is reference to the phenomena that move it, dhammas, qualities that move the citta in terms of awakening or delusion. Um, well, citta, yeah, citta, nothing can do one so much harm as an untrained citta. Nothing can do so much good as a trained citta. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the essential, it's the seat, the seat of being, the fundamental centre of being. Yeah. And it's not an entity, but it's an intelligence. When I say it's an intelligence, it means it's sensitive, it recognises, it, it, it gets things, it's touched by things. Um, now it's intelligent, but it's not always wise. <laughs> so it can be touched by things, get very reactive and clamped on. It can be touched by things and release. And mostly, well, you know, the unawakened chitta is rather twisted up or confused. So it, it kind of gets things, but not very well. It kind of half gets things. It's like a slightly twisted hand. It doesn't really get it. It gets a bit. But it does get a bit. You see, so you, you start working on the one bit that you get, and gradually it helps the other bits to wake up, and gradually you get a proper functioning citta. But it's kind of cleaning off the crust of delusion and wrong views from the citta is the process of purification of citta. And this uh, can be seen in various ways, purification in terms of its sense appetites, so it's always seeking something to you know, feed on. Uh, purification in terms of its views. It's got particular uh, inclinations towards having things or getting away from things. Um, so the jitter is that which is affected by ignorance. But it also could be that which can be, ignorance can be cleared from the jitter, then the jitter can be released from this bondage. Um, so it is really the centre of Buddhist practice. The central theme of Buddhist practice is liberation of citta. So as it said in the Sutta, the deathless is the liberation of the citta from all foundations, all clinging. Yeah. So that's that's pretty simple. See, that's it. <laughs> and whenever you look in the Sutta, and whenever the you know, people get a teaching, they say their, their jittas were liberated from the asava through non-clinging. That's a standard phrase. They heard the teaching, they really got it. Their jittas were liberated from asava through non-clinging, keen asava. So the jittas were liberated from the asava, which are these inflows, uh, influxes, um, contaminations. So it's the central theme, really. It's the liberation of citta. Now on that path, citta is led by intention. So the unawakened citta, or the non-nibbanic citta, or the citta that's not released, is led by intention. That is motivation. That is inclination. That is impulse. That is what one's citta turns to. Hmm? You sit still for a while, you'll notice your jitter starts turning towards something or the other. Yeah? Not necessarily bad, but just what about this, what about that, how is it? So it's looking, it can turn into thoughts, it can turn into 
memories, it can turn into visual objects, it's turning around. And this volitional turning leads the jitta. And um, while the jitta is confused, it's looking for something in a realm that can't satisfy it. <laughs> because jitta doesn't actually connect to the sense consciousness directly, it connects through the, the mind. The manas gives, creates particular objects within the sense fields. Now what this means is you've just looked with your eyes, you'll see there's a big range of visual objects between here and here. But you don't see that. What you see is this one. Right? You don't see that. If you look at that, everything goes blurry. So you do, do that and look at that. That's not a decision, that's automatic. That, what does that is the mind. <laughs> the mind creates the focus. Yeah. So there's, oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Yeah. And what it looks at is things that delight it or irritate it. And so what it, what it delights or irritates is jitta. So jitta, oh, that's lovely. Oh, that's terrible. So jitta is stimulated by what the manas brings to it. And the confused jitta is saying to the manas, give me something nice. So Manas looks around, oh, what about that? Brings it to the Chitta. Chitta, oh, that's nice. And then, oh, I want another one. Because <laughs> it's confused. But when it gets clear, it says, look, it's not going to happen out there. I can't find it out there. Why don't I just sit down here? So this is called Samadhi. It sits down inside itself. And says, oh, oh, oh. Oh, 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 if I quell this restlessness, I'll feel better. If I dispel this doubt, I'll feel happier. Why don't I do this right here? Because this is where jitter is affected by restlessness or doubt. If I do that, oh, I feel better. Oh, that's nice, you know. So now it knows where to look. It's starting to wake up. This is not Nibbana, but it's certainly through the skill, through the jitta, beginning to be wise enough to recognize what doesn't work. To recognize this is dukkha. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. Why don't I try this? Oh, this is better. So it settles in itself. This is a big shift, the orientation. And it recognizes, well, if my intentions are ethically clear, I get a lot less suffering. I'll do that. If my intentions are generally benevolent, I get a lot less suffering, I'll do that. <laughs> it begins to know. So the jitta also has the potential for wisdom. And eventually it begins to know, if I don't hang on, if I don't hang on to anything, I feel a lot better. Because <laughs> I can't lose anything then. Yeah. And there's... So this is Panya, wisdom. So the jitta has these in potential, but the unawakened jitta is like a two-fingered hand. It hasn't got the full set yet, but it's got enough to start. Oh, that, that, ah, maybe if I, oh, 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 wake up, oh, 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 now you've got five, ah, that's better. <laughs> you know, first of all, it's very weak. 
So you strengthen it and you encourage it. Look, you could point to something more useful and that causes the heart to rise and faith to arise, yeah? And um, mindfulness to arise and samadhi to arise and banya to arise. You think, oh, this feels a lot better. So this is the education of citta. Um, mindfulness is then uh, <laughs> mindfulness is said is described as the ability to bear in mind the meaning of teachings given long ago. So it's described in this way: he, one is mindful, one bears in mind the meaning of teachings given long ago. That's an example of it. So it's not particularly about a particular sensation or meditation exercise, although it can be, it's essentially bearing in mind and staying with some quality or some direction that is deeply purposeful. And you stay with it and you linger in it. So with mindfulness, the, the citta is trained to sit or hover over something and take in what's happening. And the only way you can be wise in the Buddhist sense, is by fully lingering in and taking in and exploring qualities. Then you know that one's no good, that one works, this one goes so far, then it fades out. This one doesn't seem very important, but actually becomes really good if I stay with it. And this is the education of citta through sati and banya. Okay, is that helpful? Yes. Okay, good. Thank you. There's a question here on the chat. Could I ask a question about the felt sense, please? The felt sense. Well, the felt sense is a term that's occasionally used. I occasionally use it myself. And it's the immediate um, arising of perception. So it's like, you know, felt sense. Oh, that feels like. Uh, so we see something, or we think something, or we remember something, or we hear a voice, or we even experience our own moods, uh, something or the other like that. And you get, this feels like sort of heavy, or saddening, or struggling. So it's the immediate arising of meaning before the interpretations begin. The interpretations being, oh, I'm angry because so-and-so said a bad word to me. That's an interpretation. Get right back to it, you, you experience the sense of something quivering, something shaking, something hot. Hot, shaking, quivering. So it's the beginning of it. Now it's useful in that if you get to that before it becomes into I'm feeling really angry because she said this, that and the other then you've got quite a lot of stuff to deal with um, her, what she said and your reactions to it so once that perception, that felt sense has taken hold the perception that arises creates a, a world of self and other self and other and then it gets very complicated <laughs> because, you know, who's right? Uh, which is right? 
she says, I thought it wasn't being offensive, I was just telling the truth. What's the matter with you? You're just so oversensitive. I'm not oversensitive, you're just aggressive and brutal. No, I'm not. I'm direct and honest. <laughs> you know, so it goes on, who's right and who's wrong. If you get to the felt sense, you don't have to have self and other. You just recognize this is tension, anger, hostility arising. This will not do anybody any good. Okay, let's just practice with that and release it through getting awareness, mindfulness, to establish calm and openness around that. And let that felt sense be felt until it moves to cessation. There's a certain dispassion, a dispassion about um, mindfulness. Now, this could mean that when I'm cool and calm, things are steady, I could say, um, you know that thing you said to me yesterday? Yeah? Well, I wonder, I found that quite triggering. You know, did you, do you notice that? You know, so you'd like, just more like informing people rather than accusing people. One of the big mistakes we make is we think by accusing people, <laughs> we can convince them. <laughs> and generally when you accuse people they get defensive <laughs> so you think, I'll tell you what's wrong with you I'll tell you what's wrong with you that'll help you make yourself right it doesn't it makes, just makes you more defensive <laughs> so uh, essentially what has to be established is, is uh, that steady relational experience and, oh, what's this, how does this affect you now, it could be that we say, okay, I understand now, you're sensitive around that, perhaps I wasn't aware of that, I can try better. Then nobody is blamed, it's just a recognition, there's a navigational process that has to be undertaken, We, you know, and we all need that navigation. But blaming and accusing is not the proper way of, of negotiating a, a contact. You have to come from a calm place, recognising we do bump into each other and misunderstand each other. Could we just cool it? This is not an unusual thing. And from a cool place, just refer. How is that? How is that? How is that? Okay, then maybe we can learn something. So the felt sense gets right to the beginning of the perception. Before it becomes a meaning, an interpretation, and then the sankharas start kicking in with, you're this and I'm that, and she's never this, and I'm always that, and, da, 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 da. and then it becomes so complicated and becomes deeply embedded. Felt sense is useful. Also, when you're on your own, you know, rather than going to, uh, you know, I'm this, I'm that, I'm not this, I am that, I could be this, that, and the other, just the felt sense of seeming heavy what's needed, seeming wobbly, uncertain, what's needed. Because it's a reference to the immediate impression that's happening in the citta before it spills out into interpretations. So you get to that felt sense of not steady, not comfortable. Now, rather than me and who I am, it's just the felt sense, not steady, not comfortable, and the response to that is, okay, what's needed here? Ah, oh, that's what's needed. 
often very simple immediate response rather than a complex psychological analysis. Thank you very much for your teachings, but I really enjoyed this weekend. The question I wanted to ask was, to what extent do you feel focusing is the same as or complementary, or how is it the same as or complementary to meditation? Can you use it instead of meditation, or is it something different? Well, meditation can cover a whole range of, of mind trainings. I think it's quite a useful aspect of mind training. It's not the it's not the only and it's not enough, but it's a good it's a good tool. The only thing you've got to be clear about felt sense is don't take it too seriously, as if it's actually true. <laughs> it's true for a moment. It's true about what you're feeling, but it's not a true representation of what's actually happening. So I think the important thing is you begin to get the sense of the felt sense. What is your response to the felt sense? That's the point. Now, if you make it personal, it seems to get more like into psychoanalysis or psychotherapy. If you make it impersonal, it becomes dumber, dumber practice. <laughs> I was asking about the technique of focusing. You can use that. Whether that's the same as meditation. Well, or... meditation covers a number of things. It can cover metta bhavana, so it can cover a range of experiences, and this can be seen as one, one useful, skillful means within the whole continuum of mind yeah. training. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to move on. There's a few other questions. Um, question: How you describe jitta makes it sound like we think of the self. Where is the impermanence in the jitta? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, one of the basic um, uh, fundamental um, confusions is that jitta, because it's so intimate and so subjective and so much the centre of one's experience, seems to be a self. Um, but it's not separate. So self always implies self is separate from other things. Well, jitta, as long as there are other things, jitta is in relationship. So jitta, until it's liberated, is always linked to a feeling, to a mood, to an inclination, to a perception. So how can something that's self require two things? So jitta is, the only way to jitta is caught in dualism. Self is a dualistic experience because self always depends upon something to be reacting or relating to, whether it's a person, a feeling, a thought, a desire, an inclination. There's always two things in the world of self, self and its object. Um, so the impermanence in the citta means it's constantly shivering. The unawakened citta is constantly shivering, trembling with felt resonances with shifts of energy. It's like a magnetic field that's pulsing all the time. Yeah, so it's not, it's kind of leaping up and down, but it's in a continual fluctuating sense. If you sit still for a while, you can, you can sense your chitta moving. 
to this, to that, to this, to that, to this, to that, through this and that. Mm -hmm. That's the impermanence in response to the chitta that's not released. It's bonded to sankharas and to the conditioned. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, so uh, it's only through uh, dispassion towards conditions that the chitta sort of distills itself or separates or, or rises out of the conditioned realm. Yeah. You might say just as uh, when the sun comes up, the dew evaporates from the grass into where we can't see it. Right? When there's dew in the morning, sitting on the grass, you see the beads of dew. It's bonded to the grass. Right? The dew is sitting on the grass and on the leaves. The sun comes out, the dew disappears. You don't see drops running up into the sky. <laughs> but the dew, when the sun comes out, the dew, that's what happens to the jitta. <laughs> it evaporates into the unconditioned. <laughs> when the sun of wisdom dwells upon it. Uh, so let's go through the questions. Um, Energy felt during meditation, strong ball of energy in my neck moves into my head and can feel overwhelming. Sometimes my body shakes without control. Well, generally speaking, you know, with energy you need to uh, moderate it by widening your focus and by calming your attitude. So if you have an energy locked up in your neck, strong ball of energy, that sounds quite quite reduced. It's not spread out. So if you span your awareness from the, uh, that area, gradually move your awareness up and down your body, slowly, like, like, a, like blowing up a balloon, expanding it. If you connect it or be aware of the energy, then keep expanding your way slowly till you feel the energy start to trickle down your back or down your throat or into your shoulders. And generally the best way to go is down because eventually that will get you down to the ground where there's a sense of earthing and where the discharge of energy can occur. People naturally different. But by and large, energy needs to be directed well if it's if it's in this heightened state it needs to go down and it, we direct it gradually progressively drawing it down your body so you feel your middle of your back or your abdomen your hips your thighs down into your feet into the ground so lengthening to allow the energy to drain and discharge it can also be that you you know, bring it in the thickness of your body or laterally. So it generally expand like a globe. Um, that needs to be done with a mind, an ad mental attitude of uh, spaciousness and goodwill. It's not like you're dragging something, but it's coaxing. It's a very, you know, so the quality of warm-heartedness is very helpful. Coaxing, t inquiring, uh, so you're not trying to get it done, but you're 
relating to it, what does it need, what does it want to do, and can you encourage that energy to run into different places than up in your neck. And during that process you may come across certain areas where it begins to tighten or sizzle, get agitated, excited, pause, linger, breathing in, breathing out, take your time, lingering, widening, releasing. This is not unusual to have these energy distortions. And by and large, meditation, because you're sort of taking the wraps off the person, you begin to get into the underpinning energetic structures of the person. And the energetic structures uh, can be are associated with um, energetic distortions, uh, traumatic experiences um, of some kind or another, or even physical damage. So just widening softening is the is a quality that you can't get wrong <laughs> what you don't want to do is go into it don't go into the energy trying to sort it out because when you put your attention in your your attention carries energy your attention carries energy so if you put attention into the energy it increases the energy so it gets even tighter so your attitude maybe i'll go into this and sort it out but it's like saying, put my hand on a tar baby in order to get to push it away. Your hand sticks to it. You understand? <laughs> yeah. So if it's gluey, you don't if it's glue, you don't put your hand on it to release it. You take your hand away from it and blow on it until it dries. Similarly, you don't go into it, you stay out of it, but with it in a spacious way. Um and so it was a very calm process. The body may shift or shiver a little bit, but you want to keep that general direction gradually shifting down until you're finding some ground. Now, that can be done in the body, which is where it's occurring. But remember also, in this very holistic Sankara experience, body, heart, attitude, mentality are not separate. They're all different facets of the same Sankara experience. Okay? Yeah. They seem so different, but the root of them, it comes from the same root. So if there is a stressful bodily experience somewhere in an energetic aspect, you can be sure there's a, there's a stressful mental aspect to that could be fear, it could be pressure, it could be forcefulness of something or the other. So you must be careful that your mind state is supportive to release an openness. So the energy is not made more intense, but actually opened and released. Your body shakes without control. Yeah, lots of things happen without control. They just happen. Um, thing is to find like a like a lightning rod get can get lightning to go down into the ground similarly you, you generate that channel down your body into your feet down to the ground that's the energy shakes down on you but do do and you can perhaps do it better when you're standing up or standing might be better or walking
easy to appreciate anicca but not anatta. If body is just five aggregates, is everything happening because of causes and conditions, then why are we held responsible for our actions? Mm. Well, body is not five aggregates, but there are five aggregates. And um, perceptions, form, feeling, perceptions, uh, volitional formations, uh, consciousness. And Sankara has volitional tendencies or activities in them that give rise to results. So Sankara is the activity principle, the activity energy, the psychological activity energy, the emotional impulse. And when that arises, as it takes place, it gives rise, it generates karma. Yeah, the arising of Sankara and the, and the decisive engagement with that that means the chitta unifies around calm around the sankara it, it follows it there's a result the result vipaka then the chitta experiences the result of that action it could be a mental action if you continue to harbor grudges resentments and so forth i'm not saying you personally if one continues to harbor grudges then your jitta becomes sour and grumpy. That's called karma. Yeah. Yeah. If we if we if I continue to be careless and disrespectful, my jitta becomes careless and heedless. Right? And this means the jitta then experiences suffering and stress and confusion. So it's jitta, the unawakened jitta, um, clings to Sankara, is led by Sankara, follows Sankara, and receives results of those Sankara. This is the law of karma. It's not a self, but it's it may be, you may be experiencing it as such. It's, it's a jitta that's experiencing results of karma. It's a jitta that's inclining towards karma. It's a jitta that's following the old habits of the sankharas that it's bonded to. Therefore, a responsible person or responsible attitude, let's put it this way, is when these impulses and energies and arise, is just to pause and step back and, hmm, where's this one going? Is this worth engaging with? What's it feel like? This one's good. This one feels good. Okay, follow that. It will lead to a good result. Yeah. And sometimes you don't get it right. But if it's pretty good, then you learn. You gradually learn. So you learn which are the true good impulses and energies to follow, which are not good, and which particular sets of Sankara lead out of this whole tangle. And these are the inclinations towards mindfulness towards investigation towards enlightenment factors these inclinations these intentions of the jitta will lead it out of the struggle so therefore when it takes clear um, awareness of sankara uh, and uh, trains oneself to discern them clearly right there's quite a few here so 
where are we now? What is the unbinding of chitta as opposed to education of chitta? Well, the education of chitta is uh, is the beginning process of while well, trying to get the chitta to learn. First of all, what is what's to look at? Don't keep looking at sights and sounds. Look at your intentions. That's an education. The unawakened chitta just goes hypnotically into sights and sounds. Right. A child's jitter is just easy, it's very naive, mesmerized by sights and sounds and touches. And that's an uneducated jitter. So you educate it, look. His first education is deep attention. Look at things and look what it's doing to you. That's your first education. See something, what's it doing to you? Is that useful or not useful? Relevant or irrelevant? Supportive or not supportive? You keep that. This is called the process of yoniso manasikara. Yoniso manasikara. Yoniso manasikara. Deep, wise attention. What's this doing? Where does it go? This is education. Having seen something that seems useful, linger on it. This is sati. Bear it in mind. Stay with it. Defend it. Look after it. Learn to be patient, learn to be diligent, learn to sustain, learn to resolve. That's education. Don't just go skipping off, (laughs) following impulses. Stay with something. That's an education. Stay in the school. (laughs) It gets boring, but stay with it. (laughs) That's education. Education of the jitta. And then then you do that. Ah, new qualities are coming up that I've never seen before. Yeah. Qualities of ease and comfort. Now you're educating the jitta. Uh, so in that process, then one begins to see, well, when metta is present, when kindness is present, there's no ill will. Oh, I've released ill will. You know? When self-respect is present, there's no uh, self-criticism, agitation. I've released that. I've unbound myself from these terrible diseases. Um, when I have cultivated skillful conduct, I have liberated myself from blame and shame. So these are the beginnings of unbinding. We unbind the jitta from these sources of stress. The complete unbinding yeah, is Nibbana, where you liberate yourself from even subtle effects that are stressful. One of them being identification. Yeah. Identifying with anything is eventually going to cause stress. But it takes a while to really educate the jitta to see that. So you educate and you educate and you educate in order to get the jitta to see things more clearly and deeply into the source of stress and then how to unbind it from stress. And this is the uh, completion of the education. You've You've passed the test. You're out of school. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, so this is what the targeter has passed. He's finished the course. It's called the Sugato. Sugato, the one who's completed the round. Well done. Well finished. Gone to the good place. Accept our, can we accept our history? Do we accept our history? without in-depth examination in order to reorient towards goodwill, respect, kindly space. Can we accept our history without in-depth examination? 
in order to reorient towards goodwill, respect, kindly space, kindly space, or do we have to handle it deeply before changing orientation? Well, I think you're probably going to find that history is very, it's very, uh, you know, one person's history is another person's uh, point of view. <laughs> history is is a is a fallacy. History is a fallacy. It's a fallacy. It just means the particular narrative that we've adopted. Look at national history. It's just that certain things are not included in it and other things are. Personal history, what's what's in that? A very limited viewpoint. So often it means, history means the places where you most profoundly felt a profound feeling, which is probably not much of your life. A certain key points, triggers that came up. So you don't want to go into it to um, assemble a self out of it, but to acknowledge perhaps repetitive trends. Oh, this is the anxiety trend. This is the carelessness. This is the uh, uh, fearfulness or the uh, irritability trend. So really, we're looking not so much at personal history as chitta history. This is the history of chitta. It keeps going to the same, and it really doesn't move forward in time. That's the thing you recognise about chitta, it doesn't move in time. We can still be going through the same old pieces again and again and again. Now, if you say this is in the past, on a historical sense that may be true, but in terms of liberation, it's not that useful. Because you can't go back to the past. What needs to be liberated are the tendencies that are arising now, and particularly the ones you've seen arise time and time again. So this is your chitta history and need to get out of history by contemplating why does this thing keep get coming back? Why do I keep why does the chitta keep gnashing and chewing on this piece? Because it has not learned a kindly, sensitive, in-depth attention to that point. So we need to carefully investigate phenomena that have a repetitive trend in our hearts, minds. Investigate them, don't identify with them, but investigate them to their root causes. And the root causes are qualities that we can attend to with mindfulness and investigation. So, hmm, well, there's quite a few more questions here. Okay, speak more about approach to conflict. I've recently been drawn into a big community conflict. I've tried to be very balanced and understand both sides. Is there a time to speak out? When we feel deeply moved from inside and stand our ground, whilst constantly observing our own our inner state, or better to keep focusing on internal state and go beyond fixed side, if not seriously life-threatening, or just leave it to the universe and trust. <laughs> I like that one. 
<laughs> I wish the universe would sort itself out. It doesn't seem to be doing very well. <laughs> At least the human universe. I think some kind of participation is necessary. <laughs> it may not be participation in terms of going in there, right, right, who's right and wrong, but participation with sympathetic attention. Uh, conflict is quite normal. <laughs> uh, quite normal. How could it be otherwise? Human beings have different perceptions, different sensitivities, different blind spots, different attitudes, different directions. You know, often they're kind of roughly going in the same way, which is great, but there can be a bit of a whoops <laughs> collision here, or she got left out, or something or the other. Um, so I think it's important to encourage community um, sharing around what's been difficult. And just listening. Uh, everybody just listens. Um, and uh, really to also to take, to, though it may be, well, she never does this or she always does that. Much better to say, I've noticed this and it bothers me because what I've seen is this and this and it disturbs me. Then we're talking reality. Reality, all we know of the reality is, I see this, I am disturbed. Now that's not a judgment of her. Or a judgment of myself. It's just the truth. I see this, I am disturbed because of what? It disturbs my values, it disturbs my sense of what we're doing here as a group. Um, maybe it's my problem, maybe it's your problem, maybe it's nobody's problem, and we just need to acknowledge that and come back into what are our communal values, what are our shared meanings, our shared trajectories. Are we in line with that? Everybody is moving and things are changing. So there's bound to be places where people just drift off and miss it, lose attention, quite normal. Somebody's not a problem. Other person gets deeply affected by the fact that this person's not cooperating. They get very upset. Okay, maybe this is not the correct reaction, getting upset. But <laughs> same time, it wasn't good that this person drifted away. So if we just acknowledge... This this causes agitation. Let's just out of sympathy. Oh, okay, you're being heard, listened to, and, and yeah, just just hold that, and then maybe we can come together. We know that it's like this, and uh, thank you very much for mentioning that because I don't I don't want to be upsetting people by my inattention. Called the process of uh, admonishment. Admonishment sounds heavy, but process of negotiating, of of navigating together in a community. So it's both focusing internally, one's own mind state, focusing on what one observes. Now you can't say, you can't really observe what that person is doing and why. You can't say she is so careless. What you can say is. Uh, I noticed that on Thursday she's, you know, the duty is to do this and I noticed that Sarah or Joseph doesn't do it. That's true. Now, there could be a very good reason for that, but don't think you understand somebody's intentions. That's, that's, that's an interpretation. Just say what you see with your eyes or what you think you've observed or what you understand other people have said. But say, I have seen this. Could this be made clear? 
I don't want to interpret this as make a person out of it, it's an action or an inaction. Then this helps to keep things pretty cool and reasonable. So it's internally, externally. And uh, making them as, as, as just as simply factual as possible, not judgment. This is my internal state, this is my observation of the external. That's it. That's presented. Listening deeply. Okay, what does that? When I say that, how does that affect other people? If it's a community, then there'll be some sense of we as a community. Therefore, we we're through a community. We do seek to operate together. So we feel a little bit distressed if we're not operating together. If we don't care, we're not a community anymore. <laughs> It's time to separate. <laughs> I mean, maybe not immediately, but certainly there's got to be no no harmony, no community, no communication, no community, no ability to, to negotiate conflict, no community. That's that's the that's the truth of the matter. Okay, where are we? Let's do let's do a couple more. Can you share more about how you practice separation, sense of loss when spiritual companions leave, leave or disrobe? So that's the first question. Well, when practice is what arises, so that arises that sense, I think, with all loss, oh, I won't have that again. Oh, that person's skill or humour or presence won't be there. Oh. You know, unfortunately, it's rather selfish. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then maybe, okay, well, she or he's doing what he needs to do. And then it can be a sense of, well, I hope he's getting all right, you know. So you get worry, you know. she She's leaving and what's she going into? It doesn't look good. So you get a sense of worry, practice with that. Then you get a feeling, what did we do wrong? What went wrong? Did I not behave properly? Why did? Why was it uncomfortable for him or her? Wrong, feeling of guilt. <laughs> I do wrong. <laughs> you practice with that thing, well, you know, uh, and then perhaps the whole thing is flawed, you know. Saying if, she, if he leaves, she leaves, perhaps we're on the wrong path because he's such a good person. Doubt. So you get <laughs> grief. <laughs> <laughs> grief, loss, guilt, and doubt. <laughs> you practice with those <laughs> until what's what you know when you begin to contemplate what what have gone anyway, what is left. You keep keep the good, keep the good in your heart. You know, he came from nowhere. He came out of nowhere, he came some, somewhere that wasn't in my life, he came into my life, he was there, he moved on. <laughs> Thank you for this bit. <laughs> where you came from, where you go to, you know, that's the way it is. Same with all passing, isn't it? You know, she was my friend for 15 years and now she's gone. Well, where did she come from? 
somewhere else. She came from somewhere, she goes somewhere. You have 15 years, be grateful. What did you learn? Be grateful for that. Yeah. My teacher's passed away. He was so wonderful. Thank you. Well, great, you had a teacher for any time. Keep it with you. <laughs> Keep it with you. Keep what they said and taught and their presence and example with you. That's what they wanted you to do. Not to hang on to their candors, their aggregates, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> you can't hang on to them anyway. Be grateful for the bit you did get. Yeah. So you start to recollect that and say, well, wherever he's gone or she's gone, may they be well. May they be well. And so eventually you, you replace these kind of um, uh, afflictive senses with some sense of soberness, uh, gratitude, wisdom, and internalize the good and send forth blessings. And I think this is a process that should be encouraged in any uh, relational experience. You know, you have a husband for 10 years or 20 years, Sorry, they pass away. You have a child who grows up, they tend to leave you. You have a mother, she dies. Yeah, it hurts. What? But stay with the good that occurred. Focus on that. Then the friend never leaves you. That's the friend who never leaves you. That's the blessing that never leaves you. If you've had a blessing at all in your life, if a person gave you a blessing at all in your life, be grateful, stay with it. The rest, it's, 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 it's temporary. Explain how to practice with space around myself. Um, well, I had a try. <laughs> Yeah, so I suppose we might say that if I sit quietly uh, somewhere, then what's going to occur is oh, I'll get interested in this. Maybe I want to drink a cup of tea or speculate about something, what's going to happen in the future. So the jittery starts shifting around. And there's a particular journeys it goes through. Uh, you know, it could be journeys to do with uh, future past, self, other, journeys to do with uh, wanting things to be better than they are, or you know, eliminating things that are uncomfortable, sorting something out. And these are particular patterns. This repetitive pattern, which you begin to discern over hours, weeks, months, years of practice, that is your, that is your self package. Those are the habitual tendencies. Notice them as tendencies rather than as a person. They are repeated tendencies rather than a person. And so you can be aware of this is me getting mistrustful again. This is me feeling obliged and burdened again into my duty person. This is me being compulsive again around this. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's not me, it's a Sankara. Cling to it, a self occurs, fixate on it, a self occurs, fight with it, a self occurs, follow it, a self occurs. 
If you don't fixate, don't cling, don't fight, don't follow, a self does not occur. The Sankara can... <laughs> that's... Simply, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, I think we'll come to this next question. Perhaps this might be the last one this time. Mm. Uh, I'd like to ask about anatta and relationship to feelings of restriction and unrestricted. In meditation, I experience me being aware, watching things. And sometimes it feels very light. I lose a sense of solid, which I see as restrictive. That is, the solid is seen as restrictive, I hope. How does the experience of non-solid relate to anatta? Sorry, it's difficult to explain clearly. Yeah, not. it's true. <laughs> These experiences aren't so easy to get words around. So we have, first of all, not-self, anatta, in relationship to feelings of restriction and unrestricted. So feelings here refers to citta, not exactly to literally the word feeling in Buddhism is called Vedana, which relates to the degree of pleasure or pain. This isn't feeling in the Buddhist sense, this is feeling in the English sense, which means there is a sense of, a sense of constricted. Constricted as a reference to the state of citta. The citta feels restricted. Restricted citta has a sense of uh, a slight tension to it, uh, a sharp boundary. It's got a certain pressure in it. It can get very, very restricted. We feel tense and slightly rigid. Uh, we don't feel unrestricted citta. We feel more fluid, open and light. Right? So one can have this experience of feeling rather restricted or feeling unrestricted. Those are, those are jitter states that should be observed or, or sensed with mindfulness. Mindfulness of the jitter restricted, mindfulness of the unrestricted jitter. I experience being aware, watching things, okay, then feeling light. All feels very light. There's a lightness in that observing sense. I lose the sense of solid, which I see as restrictive. So she sees the sense of solidity as a restrictive sense. I think that's probably well, that's what she's saying. How does the experience of non-solid relate to anatta? Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah. mm. Well, I think with many of these questions about anatta, not self, mm. it's better to turn it around and say, what is the sense of self? You know, the sense of self is a certain definite, finite location. I am this. Uh, and so if a uh, powerful emotion takes over, I am definitely this emotion. This emotion is mine. It's absorbing me. I am in this emotion. I'm acting upon it. Mm -hmm. So that emotion becomes myself. 
mm, compulsive habit, I'm doing this, this is what I do, becomes an aspect of myself. Certain behaviours become myself. Certain moods become myself. Here I am again, me again, being hasty and forgetful, me again, being flippant and lazy, me again. So certain behaviours, familiar, repeated, discernible, become myself. So it's familiar, repeated, discernible, uh, and there's a certain, that's, that's sankharas, those are habits, and what occurs around that is when these arise, there's a certain constriction of awareness called clinging, which you, your awareness really fixates on that. So the space around the sankhara minimizes. There's not much space around it. We suddenly are completely in it and carried along by it. The mind is completely in it and carried along by it. When that occurs, clinging occurs, becoming occurs, there is a sense of self arises. Clinging is not an infatuation. It's an addiction. So it's not that you like something. It's just the jitta clamps around an experience. It's not that we like it <laughs> at all. If you have pain, your jitter clamps around that, trying to get rid of it or trying to resist it. It still clamps. It means your attention minimizes till that particular topic is the sole theme. And it's not done lightly and it's not done reasonably. It's just done instinctively. Instinctive, narrow, tight focus and absorption, a negative absorption into that particular thought, mood, desire, worry, topic. It's almost the antithesis of mindfulness. Mindfulness bears those in mind, but mindfulness does not do this. It doesn't restrict, it actually stays steady. This is why mindfulness is so helpful, because in some ways it, it can touch into those topics that we normally reactively cling to and instead of reactively clinging to them stay steady and open and just in the reduction the non-clinging there is a liberation the behavior dissolves the sense of self and identification with that dissolves so we're addicted to say a cigarette or a sugar or something and we see it we immediately go for it i want one of those so, okay, you stop, you restrain yourself, you still feel your mind lunging towards that thing. I want it, I've got to have it. Right? You practice with that, you feel your body, you steady yourself in your body, you keep opening and widening and steadying yourself in your body. You feel that pulling of the jitta, you restrain it. You keep saying to it, where's this going? How's this feel? This feels very uncomfortable, this pressure of desire. Uh, gradually you're able to relinquish it then yeah so that's the process of bearing in mind a skillful foundation such as body and dhamma means these two held together can help these compulsive addictive habits to be seen and known and released now it's not a suppression or a blaming or a judgment of them it's just being mindful of them now, of course, this is a very simple analogy, 
Most we're not addicted to cigarettes and sugar, but we are very addicted to ourselves. Our self is the primary addiction that we all suffer from. We take everything that happens in my mind very much as me and important and the thing that's gonna got to be acted upon. It's like it's like smoking sixty cigarettes a day. It's, yeah. So with this, this is the me sense, wanting this, this is the me fearing this, this is the me getting upset about this, this is my obligation pattern, this is my old stuff. And instead of clinging, fixating, you stay mindful and open to it, there's a possibility of releasing it. The release is the release from a constricted state to an unrestricted state. The release of self, from self into not-self. Now, not-self is not an entity, it's the absence of that, or the release from that self-experience. It's not solid, except that the focus is very, is very firm and steady. The focus, the quality of it is light and open. It gets more light and more open as things release. So in some ways it's not solid at all, and yet the stability that it gives rise to seems very solid. This is the paradox of liberation. It's both open and light and rock solid at the same time. This is a Tathagata. The Tathagata is like a mountain that does not move, but at the same time it's like space. There's no substance to it. Yeah, so please remember when you use a word like anatta, as soon as we create a word, we imagine anatta is either negation of self or some mysterious entity that's not a self. It means there is a self experience that can be seen and released. It's a nonning. It's a, a shifting out of the self process yeah, into this is just this and that the space and lightness around that. I hope some of that is useful and I hope your meditation uh, continues to give you uh, uh, interesting things to explore. Uh, eventually, all one can ever do as a teacher is uh, give some hints and suggestions and uh, help perhaps to clarify how you practice and uh, find your own way in, these, uh, in this Dhamma training and process of Chitta. So, um, thank you for your lively inquiries. I'm going to have a cup of cold tea to wash my throat a little bit. <laughs>